Hi, this is Pastor Tim Crick, and you are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, a part of the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us online at www.htelc.com. We worship on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m., where you are never too late and there is always room for one more. We hope you can join us sometime, and we hope you find the sermon you're about to listen to helps you to understand and experience the depths of God's love for you and the entire world. Thanks for listening. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapters, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, He was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Christ. Please be seated. In one of the other readings this morning, um, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the Colossians. And he writes these words. He says, You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. These words have really struck me this morning. I'll read them again. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. The gospel message this morning is a story I've heard before, and probably many of you have also heard it before, the story of the Good Samaritan. Perhaps you, like me, have heard this story many times, and I wonder, is it bearing fruit? 
Have we heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God, as Paul says? What happens to a story when you hear it too many times? Does it start to lose its meaning? This is, after all, just a story, right? A parable. I've been on vacation this past week. My wife's family has a place in Wells, not too shabby. And while sitting on the beach, I've been finishing this great book called My Grandmother Asked Me to Tell You She's Sorry by uh, Frederick Bachman. Has anybody read it? Or some of the Frederick Bachman books? He's also wrote a book called The Man Called Ova and Bear Town. Anyway, it's pretty great. I want to share a bit about it, um, but I won't totally give it away. The main character is a feisty, witty, too smart for her own good eight-year-old named Elsa. Elsa has a wonderfully fun and playful relationship with her grandmother, who she calls Granny. Elsa has gone through a lot in her short time on this earth. Her parents got divorced. Her mom is pregnant and has a new partner. And Elsa is picked on quite severely in school. In such difficult circumstances, Granny is always good for a quick whip of the tongue to diffuse a situation tend to Elsa, and show her strength. One of Granny's gifts is she's a storyteller. When Elsa's parents were getting divorced and she couldn't sleep at night, Granny introduced Elsa to the land of almost awake. Let me tell you about it. You don't need to close your eyes to get to the land of almost awake. That's the whole point of it, sort of thing. You only need to be almost asleep. And in those last few seconds when your eyes are closing, when the mists come rolling in across the boundary between what you think and what you just know, that's when you're off. You ride into the land of almost awake on the backs of cloud animals because that's the only way of getting there. The cloud animals come in through Granny's balcony door and pick her and Elsa up, and then they fly higher and higher and higher until Elsa sees all the magical creatures that live in the land of almost awake. The Anfants and the Regretters, the Noween and the Worse and the Snow Angels and princes and princesses and knights. The cloud animals soar over the endless dark forests where Wolfheart and all the other monsters live. Then they sweep down through the blindingly bright colors and soft winds to the city gates of the kingdom of Miamis. Sounds pretty great, doesn't it? Do you think the land of Almost Awake is a real place? Well, according to Granny, Granny it is. Granny insists that she never made up a bloody thing, and Miamis and the other five kingdoms in the land of Almost Awake are not only real, but actually far more real than the world we're in now, where everyone is an economist and drinks lactose-free milk and makes a right fuss. <laughs> Granny isn't particularly good at living in the real world. <coughs> so good. It's a fantastical place. And the land, uh, the, the land of Almost Awake has six kingdoms. Let me tell you about those. The first is that Miamis, that place that I mentioned. The other five kingdoms in the land of Almost Awake are busy doing other things. Mirevas is the kingdom where they stand guard over dreams. Miploris is the kingdom where they store all sorrow. Mimovas is where music comes from. Miadakas is where courage comes from. 
And Mebatalos is the kingdom where the bravest warriors who fought against the fearsome shadows in the war without end were raised. But Miamis is Granny and Elsa's favorite kingdom because there, storytelling is considered the noblest profession of all. The currency there is imagination. I want this granny. It's amazing. Yet even the land of almost awake, unfortunately, can't prevent Elsa's granny from succumbing to cancer. But before she dies, she sends Elsa on her greatest adventure yet, a treasure hunt. Granny gives Elsa a letter to deliver, and after she passes, Elsa is taken on a journey of delivering these many, many letters to different people. And here's the brilliance of the storytelling. As Elsa starts delivering the letters, her journeys are coupled with the stories of the land of Almost Awake, and soon we start to realize that the magical creature, the worst, that Granny talked about in her fairy tales is the dog in the apartment downstairs. And Wolfheart, the great soldier who saved the kingdoms of the land of Almost Awake, he lives across the hall from the worst, uh, the dog. As the story unravels the line between what is fairy tale from the land of Almost Awake and what is unfolding in Elsa's life becomes completely blurred. And the lessons she took away from her granny's stories give her the strength, courage, and sometimes even the solutions to her real-life struggles. At this point, it's hard to even know what's really the real world. Is it the land of almost awake, like Granny said? Seems so. Reading this book while discerning my sermon for this morning, I got to thinking, is Jesus' parable more than just a fairy tale, but a glimpse into a reality possible once we hear and truly comprehend the grace of God? Is this story what it looks like to Paul when our lives bear fruit once we have truly heard that good word? I think I have approached parables such that they were these lessons. There's lessons in a parable that I'm supposed to learn, and I approach it very intellectually. I take that lesson. I add it to the filing cabinet in my brain that files away lessons from Jesus and things in my faith, and I kind of put it in there. And then every once in a while when I kind of want to show what it's like to be a good Christian, I open that filing cabinet, pull out a lesson, and I'm like, be the good Samaritan. Maybe somebody else over here thinks that way too. (laughs) We kind of engage these stories from our God intellectually. But I never imagined that the parables aren't just for a filing cabinet in my brain. They're a glimpse into a reality, Jesus' reality. And I am invited by Jesus himself to step into this reality and see the characters and the mission are right in front of me all the time. The parables and lessons from Jesus then aren't just nice teachings and expressions we can print on calendars and wall hangings and occasionally seek them out for inspiration and comfort. Jesus is saying, my kingdom surrounds you all the time. Here is what it looks like. Let's do this together. Being Christian, taking into ourselves the meaning and lessons of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is not a mindset or a membership. It's a way of life. I recently read an article on patheos.com by Tim Suttle entitled, Christianity Shouldn't Be Infused with Politics. It is a politic. Catchy title, huh? 
In the article, Tim, who's an author and pastor of a church in Kansas City, Missouri, interweaves some of his own thinking and understanding of scripture with that of Stanley Hauerwas, a Christian ethicist and scholar. When Stanley Hauerwas says, as he often does, writes Tim in his article, that Christianity is a matter of politics, he doesn't mean American liberal or conservative politics. He's saying Christianity is not a belief system. It's way bigger than that. Christianity is a whole new way to be human that requires a complete reordering of the way we organize our lives, both personally and communally or politically. Christianity is a politic. Christian politics, Tim writes, is marked by peacemaking, enemy love, forgiveness, grace, hospitality, and unity. Pretty much everything Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. If we organize our common life together around those kinds of things, then we will image God. And Christianity becomes our politics. Dr. Hauerwas in his writings goes a little bit further. He kind of says, if you're going to create a, a, like a spectrum of politics, as opposed to putting like really liberal or Democrat on one side or really conservative and Republican on the other side, he puts Republican and Democrat together and puts Christianity on the other side. What? That's not what we hear in the news. That's not how we hear in our societies. I commend this article to you because it really does help us think about things differently. And I can send it to your pastor if you want to read it. But Stanley Hauerwas, Tim Suttle, and I think me, we're so convinced that Jesus' parables aren't just nice stories and fairy tales. They are our truth and our way of being in the world. The worst is the dog. Wolfheart is your neighbor. The man beaten and left at the side of the road is right in front of you, and you are the one walking by. The Samaritan could be you, but likely we've also been the priest or the Levite. Or really, perhaps we've been the one beaten on the side of the road and in need of friends in the seats next to us to reach out and offer the hand of help. The priest is you, it's me. The one beaten on the side of the road, it's you, it's me. The Samaritan, it's you, it's me. The story is unfolding right in front of us. The salvation brought to us in Jesus is the invitation into this kingdom in our midst. Jesus has liberated us from the things that hold us back from being the Samaritan. Jesus has freed us from the sins of too busy or don't know how or what could I do and open doors for us to show grace, love, and compassion to our neighbor just as it has been shown to us. On the beach this past week, it was a joy and struggle to be welcomed into Elsa's world. And on Sundays, it is a joy and struggle to be welcomed into Jesus' world. But I need to remember that it extends beyond that door and that when I step back outside, it doesn't disappear. It's right in front of me. I know it isn't always easy to see this world, but we could do it. And maybe like I said with the kids, maybe we could do it together. That after all does sound like a pretty Jesus thing to encourage us to do. May this story that lives within us and around us, this story of truth and love and grace and compassion, 
this story of Jesus. May we hear it, that we may truly comprehend it, so that it may bear fruit. Amen. That's the sermon for this week. We hope from it you learned a bit more about God's love for you and the world. Please subscribe and rate our podcast to help us be found by and reach more people. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, you are loved.